Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf here in Tudor Square in Sheffield, outside the iconic, the legendary Crucible Theatre. We are here to once more talk about the game we all love. And Phil, then there were four. We have reached the semi-final stage of the World Championship and we very much enjoyed being here at the Crucible for the last couple of days. It's just been magic, hasn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Nice to be here for a couple of days. Uh, shame it couldn't be more, but we really made the most of it over the two days we're here. Um, it's a funny one on the Tuesday, no games finishing, but plenty of people to talk to, plenty of things to see. And then, uh, yeah, what a day of action on the Wednesday, all the quarterfinals coming to an end. And uh, a couple of shocks, a couple of great performances. Um, but yeah, brilliant day here. The sounds of Sheffield already, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Our first outside broadcast, and this city is already delivering. That's the bongs of 10 o'clock, isn't it? That is lovely, isn't it? What a nice sound. I presume it's the bomb, and not just because we've gone on air. <laughs> yeah, Probably. <maybe. laughs> well, we are delighted to say that it's not just us two here today to talk about the last week of action in this great tournament. We have also been joined by one of Snooker's most passionate fans. The BBC christened her a super fan a few years ago, and we frankly can't improve on that. She really is very much a super fan. And she absolutely loves this place and this tournament. It's Kelly Barker. Kelly, great to see you. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you. We're, we're great, thank you. And the first thing we really want to ask you is, because you've been here every day of the tournament, what's it been like this year from a fan experience? I know it's so different. I know you've been positive on Twitter. Has it been a positive experience? It really has. Uh, before it started, I did question whether it might all be a bit of a hassle and not the same crucible experience this year but I can say that it's it's just been wonderful from the start all all the staff are friendly to you know to see everyone the testing hasn't been a hassle um all the protocols it's been more straightforward than it sounded like it might be um and it's just been a it's been a pleasure to be here I, I couldn't say any more be more positive about it it's fantastic yeah I mean we're sat out here and you can sort of see the almost like lines of defence to get into the crucible there's a, quite a lot of security and stuff but as you say it's, it's so well organised it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty swift process to get through isn't it yeah I mean coming you know day after day I mean there's checkpoints as well so you know at this point you've got to have your ID with mm. you and then you've got to show your negative test at the next stage um, but yeah it's straightforward and um you know, you have a wristband if you're in more than a couple of days to know when your next test is due. Um, and it's it's run like clockwork. I think the staff have been brilliant. And um, a big, big thank you to World Snooker for helping get us in there. I think they've they've done a wonderful job. And the crowds are slowly going up each day, aren't they? That's, that's the news. We have had, obviously, some sessions where the Crucible has been empty for very understandable reasons but it's building up now and we understand the final night on Monday is a complete sellout so that 
what's that going to be like for you in, the, in an arena like that? It's going to be amazing for us even watching on from television, but for you, it's going to feel so odd, isn't it, for, after it's, everything it's, we've gone it's through? Gonna be, it's going to be different, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not used to sitting next to someone who isn't in my bubble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, the Crucible and the World Final deserves to be full, doesn't it? Um, you know, just have all them people back and, you know, proper snooker fans here. Everyone everyone loves it. And I'm, I'm glad the tickets have sold. Yeah. Um, like I say, World Snooker deserve it for all the work they've put in. And, um, you know, whoever's in the final, they deserve to walk out to a full house. That's true. And it's going to get... You know, it's, it's beyond snooker, isn't it? It's going to be the news desks will be covering it because it's such a monumental moment for almost the world, really. I think no one's seen a full indoor arena for such a long time. Absolutely. It's going to look... It might even be a bit sort of like, whoa, when you see it. But, um, yeah, what a moment that's going to be when they walk out to that. Yeah, hopefully um, snooker's helping... Britain and the world get back on its feet. Well, that's a soundbite. Now, that's what we got <laughs> Kelly in for. If we were clipping this for a radio show, that's what we'd use, folks. <laughs> Kelly, we will go through the matches that have been taking place since we last spoke, but before that, I do want to ask you a little bit more about your love of this place. I know you've been coming here regularly for over 20 years now, and I, and I mentioned you were part of that BBC series. You frankly love snooker, don't you? You go and see snooker all over the place, but you particularly love it here. Tell us a little bit about your your love affair with this place, basically? Um, just just being a fan as a, a kid. Um, you know, you look at the Crucible on tally and it, it always looked magical, even if you've never been here. Um, and I always knew as a youngster, I, I, I thought, that's I want to go there one day. And um, as a kid, we could never afford it. Or, or perhaps my parents just weren't willing to bring <laughs> me. But um, the year I left school, I thought, I'm going to the Crucible. And, and, and I did... And I knew then that this place was going to be a big part of my future, really. <laughs> and, um, yeah, this, this year's my 24th year. Wow, um, wow. And uh, I love it probably more than I ever have. It's just still magical when you walk through the stairs into the arena. Did you manage to come last year, even though very short sessions, obviously? Yes, I was, I was planning to be up here for the fortnight last year. Um, obviously, we were sent home after a day. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, um, it was great to be back for the final. Um, so, yeah, I did. The three days we were allowed last year, I was here for that. Oh, that's amazing, because I know quite a few people had sort of crucible runs. Even the media guys have been there many years, and that was the year they missed. So, brilliant to keep it going, even if it was just one session. Or two. Definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, your love of the game and, and this place shines through, so it's, a, it's lovely to have you with us. Let's now just... Uh, go through some of the matches then all the best of 25 matches have been played since we last spoke to you and we have to start with what probably would be the match of the tournament so far and that's Anthony McGill 13, Ronnie O'Sullivan 12 in the second round what a match Phil, I mean goodness me it had absolutely everything and I think that was the night more than any other where those sort of floating snooker fans that are maybe general sports fans were the tuned in I was getting texts from all sorts of people mm. and messages it was a thrilling night Ronnie fighting back from 10-6 down going back to 10-10 then 11-10 and 12-11 up you thought all the way it would be his then but what a last couple of frames for McGill to win it yeah unbelievable it, it was a Friday night they all blew into one it was a Friday night though, wasn't it? <laughs> it was I think yeah <laughs> but yeah I think putting Ronnie on at Rose Sullivan on a Friday night is great scheduling I don't know if it was on purpose but yeah absolutely he draws in the, the fans who wouldn't necessarily watch all the matches and they were treated there really uh, by Ronnie and Anthony who it's been brilliant really I know we'll get on to how he just got knocked out yesterday but what a tournament for him again and as you say when Ronnie O'Sullivan took that lead at 12-11 no one's going to be back in McGill from there I don't think but unbelievable uh, quality more than anything and bottle um, but yeah great game I mean that obviously whenever Ronnie loses there's sort of a, an inquest as to why uh, but he didn't do a lot wrong really I think Anthony played brilliantly maybe obviously Ronnie wasn't at his very best because if he's at his very best he beats anyone really but um, uh, it was, it's not the end of Ronnie O'Sullivan at all um, and he went out with a bang the rocket there I thought yeah there's been a bit of premature kind of almost writing Ronnie off I think which you tend to get don't you and you know it's, let's remember he only won the world title last August mm. and he reached five finals so a little bit premature to do that I think to say to say the very least Kelly what was it like in the arena that night was that the noisiest of the world championship so far 
I think at that time it was the biggest crowd so far um, and, and yeah the place was rocking it, was, it wasn't full obviously but uh, you know there was some of that crucible atmosphere mm. back some of that little roar um, mm. that you always get when Ronnie plays but um, Miguel had his fair share of, of supporters as well and the way he handles himself and the way he plays the game um, you know you couldn't not be pleased for him even if you were a Ronnie fan and uh, yeah it's just a great night to be in there are we putting Anthony McGill in the, in, in the crucible player list now, Phil? Is he going to be an entrant? I think he has to be. I think he has to be, especially because he's had such a quiet season, really, and then to click into gear like he has here and as he did last year. Um, I'm glad you said that about how he carries himself because he's got sort of he's quite quiet, isn't he, and doesn't give a lot away. But um, I think he actually comes across like a really good guy. And uh, yeah, again, we'll come on to this later. But his interview after losing the quarter final was lovely, really. I thought, um, and he does a lot of work with sort of. Um, junior snooker in Scotland doesn't get a lot of got a lot of talk about. But, um, so yeah, I'm glad to hear he had his fans in there. I think snooker fans are always fair. Even the Rockets always going to get the majority. But uh, even if there's a few neutrals in there, they'll probably cheer for the other guy just to even it up a bit. Yeah, it's a good way of saying it. But that was an absolute thriller, and uh, well, it, it really whetted the appetite for the action that was to come. Uh, Neil Robertson had a, a good win, 13-9 over Jack Lisowski. Uh, I guess he always looked like the, the likely winner in that match and really good scoring from him with four centuries and eight other breaks of 50 plus and I suppose at that time Kelly we kind of thought that Neil uh, could be the man to win this tournament again it's not transpired like that but you know and we'll come on to that in a little bit later but he, he, he certainly showed against Lisowski that you know he, he was in that kind of form that he had been showing through the season he was looking great I am um, you know scoring for fun I thought I thought that I thought wow this really could be his year again but um I think Lazowski plays the game that suits Neil, goes for everything, and if they don't go in, Neil will mop up all day long. Um, you know, obviously against Kyron, it was a different proposition, um, and maybe, maybe, maybe Neil fell again where he. What happened last year with yeah. Selby? Um, he, he maybe gets bogged down a little too much against another good match player. Um, you know, if he played Jack or a Ronnie type or Mark Williams going mm. for everything every round um, his name's probably on the trophy again but 17 days you're going to come up against all sorts of different tactics and um, you know he just didn't he didn't stand up to Kyron yesterday which yeah. um, was sad for him It's funny isn't it because he sort of said that um, yesterday that um, it's obvious how to beat him he's sort of admitted that which is strange for such a top player um, that He'll do very well against the likes of Lasowski. He's even, and that's not great for Jack, is it? For someone saying I like playing against you, <laughs> but but also for Neil to sort of say, if you just stop me scoring and make it difficult, then I'm then I'm much more beatable. You know, it's, it's for such a, like a top level player, it sounds very easy, doesn't it? Obviously, it's not that easy. You've got to be very good at doing that stuff. But um, yeah, you're just admitting quite a big flaw in his game, really. Yeah, and that's a good way of saying it, um, Phil. I think it might be the right time to say it now. Since Jack Lasowski has been knocked out, he started working for the BBC. Now, everyone's giving Judd Trump credit for this, but come on. Flying the talking snooker flag, you have to take a bit of credit, too. You're influencing the BBC team at the World Championship. <laughs> well, it was Judd's words, not mine. I just put them on there, uh, on a screen. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I think, I think that probably was direct um, relation to Judd's comments about sort of freshening up the BBC lineup. And uh, I think Jack's been really good. Uh, not heard all of it, obviously, but definitely that first session he was in with Anthony, uh, with Alan McManus um, in the Judd Trump David Gilbert match. That was great. Um, Angles was sort of the perfect guy to have on there. He was almost sort of interviewing him in a way, getting him out of his shell because obviously Jack would have been nervous. He's a very sort of relaxed guy, but you know it's his debut and he's been thrown on live on the BBC too. You know it's pretty pretty big in at the deep end, isn't it? But um, I thought he was brilliant. That little story he told about meeting McManus when he was a kid was really sort of touching it was great um, so yeah nice to see and I think they've obviously been pleased with him because uh, he said that he was only scheduled to be in for two days and he's, he's not left since has he so he's been in been in punditing been in the commentary so um, doing a great job so well done to Jack I bumped into him one morning here actually just outside the, the Crucible and he was he was buzzing actually about being on television he said he's really enjoying it you know because uh, 
I wouldn't say he's a total natural, but that might come. He's very good at doing it. He's very interesting, and it's and it's given a, a different perspective, I think, to have someone that's you know so young and a current player. He's re- he's really gone down well so far with with most fans that I've spoken to. Uh, Kyron Wilson beat Barry Hawkins thirteen ten. Classic Crucible match, really, in that both players had run of winning frames. Wilson went quite a long way up at nine four. Hawkins fought back, and then it kind of went all the way. Um, I mean, t- two crucible players there, Phil, but mm-hmm. Kyron getting over the line line first and just shows why, you know, again, he's so suited to this place. Yeah, I think you said, was it? they played two or three years ago here, didn't they? And it was 13-11 to Kyron. And I think we said in the last pod that we could see almost exactly the same thing happening again, and that's near enough what did. Um, yeah, battlers, they're not going to be beaten easily by anyone, and uh, they weren't beaten easily by each other, but I suppose Kyron's just, Kyron's just a level ahead of Barry at the minute um, so he was always going to be favourite and he proved it really but yeah another good, another good run for. I know it's only one match but last 16 the Crucible is a good result I think for Barry um, and yeah Kyron marches on as he as we'll come to later I mean Kenny I know we, we had a quick word before we came on air and you, we were talking about Kyron being just such a, a Crucible player now we're both sort of speculating that he, he could of course win it this year but you do think it would be a surprise if one year he doesn't pick up the trophy here because he's got all the attributes, hasn't he? I think so. Um, like you say, he's, he's you know a good scorer. His scoring's really improved this season. I think he's second only to Judd on the centuries. Um, obviously, he's got the great all-round match play. Um, why not this year? He's in the last four. I don't think Murphy has got anything that Kyron will be overly scared of after beating Robertson um, potentially Selby in the final might be a different proposition again but Kyron I think he, he plays a similar game to Selby and um, you know like we say that crucible game that you need for 17 days I think Kyron's got it um, you know best of sevens he might not always do so well in but uh, give him best of 25 best of 31 I think, um, yeah, why not? Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see who finishes their career with more world titles out of him and Judd. Because, mm. you, I mean, not long ago, or even now, people would maybe be leading towards a lot more to Judd. But I think it's going to be very close. And Kyron, you know, wouldn't rule him out of finishing with more. I, I wouldn't anyway. Certainly not, no. And Ronnie made that quite specific prediction, didn't he, of Judd finishing with five world titles, which, you know... We'll wait and see. It's, it'd be a hell, of a hell of an effort to get to five. Won't be this year, of course. Uh, on to Mark Williams, John Higgins. Uh, superb performance from Williams in that match, mm-hmm. winning 13-7. And we had a little bit of boxing at the Crucible uh, field because <laughs> John Higgins compared it to fighting Floyd Mayweather and saying that, that's how clever Mark is. He's such a great shot maker. And I mean, Higgins has had a very good few months. Was blitzed off the table, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and uh, John sort of wasn't at his best in the first round, and we thought he might click into gear in the second round, but uh, yeah, didn't get into it at all against Williams. I'm not sure that metaphor really works. Mayweather's a very sort of defensive boxer, well, Williams is going all out attack at the minute, so, uh, but I enjoy the boxing reference though, nonetheless. Um, but yeah, Williams obviously enjoyed himself in that game, um, and yeah, I mean, it didn't, look, it didn't look competitive for a lot of it, which is strange because... You know, Higgins was a few people's tip to win this. He just couldn't quite... That form he showed at the players, it was never going to keep up to that level because no-one can play that for very long, not even the great John Higgins. Um, and it clearly had dropped off a bit. Um, but, yeah, all credit to Mark, really, because he's been playing well since the turn of the year, really, and he kept it going here. He really did. Now, Kelly, you've talked about your 24th Crucible does it put it in perspective a bit that you knew you knew those guys you saw them when they were so young and they're still playing it's it's sort of mind-boggling isn't it it's unbelievable I mean 24 years later I mean or you know in a quarter of a century for for those players or more um, who are still as good in their job after all them years but <laughs> well me and Phil are but well, no that's not as long because we're too young but <laughs> um, but yeah they're still going strong and you wouldn't back against I think it would be a little bit odds against um, John or Mark winning another world title. You would say Ronnie probably can because he's got all that talent in the world, but it probably is odds against. But, you know, you never write them off. And, and during the season, the three of them between them, they're they're all going to be still lifting trophies. And uh, between them all, they've had another good campaign this time. Yeah. Did you see them on your first year here then? 
98 I saw I saw Williams definitely um actually I saw John um John against Jason Ferguson oh wow he was on my first oh, that's lovely. my first <laughs> afternoon here in the crucible <laughs> That, well, that shows that how not, not aging Jason too much. That shows <laughs> that when it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my first match at the Crucible actually was Ken Doherty against Lee Walker. When Lee, oh, two Lee, still going. Lee Walker was um, yeah. Young Player of the Year at the time. Wow. <laughs> and Ken, Ken, to be fair, Ken hasn't changed a bit. He still looks exactly the same. That's true, yeah. He does Ageless, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Peter Pan of Snooker, that one. <laughs> Stuart Bingham 13, Jamie Jones 6. I was really taken by Jones afterwards. I sat in his Zoom, actually. He was saying, you know, with a, with a shake of the head, I, I don't know how that guy's out of the top 16 and had mm. to qualify because that was a dominant performance from Bingham. And when, when he's scoring like that, Phil, you sort of think, yeah, how is he out of the top 16? Yeah, a lot of players have said similar. I think when Michael Holt was on with us on here, he, he hadn't realised he had to go to qualify. He couldn't believe it. Um, I think Bingham sort of does go under a bit of the radar when talking about top top players um, but clearly when people have realised he's dropped out of the 16 everyone's like whoa he's, he's, he shouldn't be anywhere near there and yeah his scoring is immense really he's, he's got everything um, I don't think anyone's ever quite banded him in the very elite with the Ronnies and Judds Neil and Mark maybe but he's, when he's playing well he's very much in that just underneath there um, and yeah he wouldn't, he's, he's ranked 17 coming into this but you also wouldn't be surprised to see him ranked five or six in the world. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's unbelievable on his day. Yeah, for me, he's, he's top ten all day long mm. with his scoring. Um, should never be struggling for top sixteen, and I, I think he'll, you know, this run certainly he'll, he'll be well back in there for mm. next season now. And, and I can't see him being near the qualifiers again for another year or two. Yeah. Um, still, still capable of winning any ranking tournament, really. I think it was his Masters win that sort of made this all the more surprising because that was in people's minds, but obviously it's not ranking. Definitely. And then, uh, but he has had, he's had a quiet couple of years elsewhere, but um, as you say, straight back into it now. Yeah. Well, Judd Trump, David Gilbert is the next one on my list. That was 13-8. Sort of funny kind of match, really, because Judd was quite a long way ahead at 11-5. David uh, Gilbert made him fight a bit at the end. But I think Judd kind of summed it up quite well when he said it wasn't much in it. He kind of won all the close frames and maybe played just a little bit better when it was the, uh, the most crucial parts of the match. But, I mean, Dave would have been quite happy with that in some ways, wouldn't he, Phil? That was a good showing from him. Uh, yeah, I mean, no one's ever happy with a defeat. But, and mm. I think he sort of... He went 3-1 up, didn't he? And then mm. there, was this, there was a bit of a session where he just he couldn't find his scoring at all. It was the, um, So he started well and finished well, and there was just a middle bit that... Didn't, didn't really go well for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he, he certainly wasn't embarrassed at all and he, he was always going to be a big underdog against Judd. So in that way, he wasn't, like, devastated by it. But, um, yeah, like Judd said, there were a lot of close frames. So there will have been a, there was a bit of sort of what-if about um, Gilbert's loss there because that would have been an absolutely enormous win for him. Um, his first-round win was big enough because I think he won more in that match than he did for the rest of the season. So... Uh, so just doing that was good, but um, yeah, I mean, a solid display from Dave, but uh, frustration as well. Yeah, it probably wasn't my best worded question of the Crucible fortnight <laughs> there, was it? No, perhaps, perhaps happy's not quite the right way to say it, but but um, we'll come to Judd and his defeat in, 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 the, in the last day in a little while, but um, did you see much of the Trump and Gilbert match, Kenny? What did you make of it? I saw two sessions of it. I thought Judd was never quite at his best. Um, you know, he, he's still good enough. You know, obviously to win the match, um, but it wasn't quite the trump that you expect. And I, I thought he would, he would have to improve on that going forward if he wanted to win the tournament. Um, but whilst he was still in it, you know, you thought there's probably more in the tank for, with Judd. Um, you know, I, I'm a bit. It's a shame because I'm, I'm a big Judd fan. I'd love to see him win it again, but. Um, you know, he just he just didn't really turn up, and I think um, Gilbert's session where he wasn't quite good enough um, was the making of Judd in that match. Yeah. Um, maybe if he'd been pushed a little bit more, and Gilbert could have taken them chances, could have been a lot closer than eleven five, as you say. Um, but Judd will have other years, and um, this will be good for Gilbert for his ranking as well. So I suppose 
you know, going into next season, hopefully they'll both carry on as they were here. Yeah, I think I think if he'd lost first round, he he was going to drop from the top 16 to nearly out the top 32. That's how bad his season's been this year, but um, beating Wakeling keeps him 23 or something like that. So it'll be good. I was treated to having a few beers with Dave after that, uh, and he wasn't too down. He was doing all right, so he's looking forward to some time off, I think. Oh, nice one. You can hear the sounds of Yorkshire in the background, folks. Um, I know we don't always like to let you into the magic circle, but this isn't Radio 2. We aren't all microphoned up here. We're very much on our phones. So we, we hope you're hearing us loud and clear. And we're moving on to Sean Murphy 13, Yan Bintao 7. I think most of us thought it would be closer than that, frankly, but Murphy was um, well, very impressive. Made a tournament high break of 1-4-4 in the match. And obviously we'll come on to his quarter-final, but... It's a little bit like where's this form come from for Murphy. We know he can do it. It's always been in his locker, but he, he, he's peaked at the right time, hasn't he, Phil? Yeah, I'd forgotten that big break, actually. That was amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, the bookies had these almost level. I think Jan was a very marginal favourite, actually. And, yeah, I mean, given the form Murphy showed, I think, I think I'd have been tipping Jan to win that, but it wasn't really very close. Um, and yeah, Yan Ming Tao, obviously still a very young, upcoming player, but he's a serious challenge for anyone. Um, over these long formats ever only format really is real hard hard guy to beat um, so yeah I mean that was a real marker laid down for from Sean and uh, I don't know how many people saw him what he was about to do but really we should have been paying attention after he did that to Jan I think yeah I thought I thought Sean played very well and uh, as you say it hasn't really shown much at all this season I know he's had the the problems going back and forward to home and not getting perhaps the practice in um, but yeah, it's been, he must have done something right leading up to this practice-wise because he's scoring for fun against Yang Bing Tao. And yeah. yeah, I thought I thought Bing Tao was arguably favourite going into mm. that match. Um, but Sean played really well, and it was good to see him scoring again and playing the, with the way he we know he can. Um, it's a, it's a loss to snooker really if he's not playing at his best and you know getting the most of that talent. Yeah, you mentioned the travelling there, and he's mentioned this a few times this season. But I think he said last night um, he's probably done that trip from Milton Keynes to Dublin 20 times this year, and it's driving up to Liverpool, getting a ferry, some some flying. That you know, it's it's really hard work and very little time to prepare properly for tournaments. So that. that Play, you never want to hear players sort of making excuses, but sometimes there are very valid reasons why they haven't been playing well, and that certainly sounds like one from Sean. Yeah, no, it's yes, I'd, I'd agree with that. The last of those uh, second round matches was Mark Selby 13, Mark Allen 7. The reaction of Allen reminded me quite a lot of uh, Robertson last year, actually, both kind of bamboozled by Selby. Mm. Um, it's obvious that Alan has a few issues off the table at the moment and he suggested he might be able to be now taking an extended break to deal with those. So the assessment to make probably is that his head wasn't quite in the right place for this tournament. Yeah, and he said that himself. He, he did really well in the first round beating Liu Haishan comfortably. But even after that, he said, I'm not really expecting anything from myself here. And if you're not feeling right, playing Mark Selby over a long match isn't the best thing for you. Um, You've really got to be on the top of the game to beat him at any point, especially how he's playing here. So, um, yeah, that that looks like on paper a bit of a blockbuster second round match. But I think with the form of what Alan was saying before, it, it was never likely to be that close, and it proved to be the case. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's the sort of the other thing to say is that Selby is just so prolific in this in this format and this championship, Kelly. And he and I think you mentioned before we came on. He, he likes being under the radar. That's the way it's been this year, and it's sort of suiting him, isn't it? Definitely. Um, you know, I think he's happy for others to have the the limelight. The Trumps, Ronnie, Robertson—they were the ones probably most talked about coming here. But make no mistake, Salby was—you know—he's he's always a contender here. He's got such a great, great crucible record. Um, over long distance, you've got to scrape him off the table, and and it's proven again this year. He's, he's blown away his opponents really, mm. and um, it'd take a brave man to to tip him to lose really this, would. this week now. We spoke to him. Was it after his first round match? We spoke to him, and you said he was a bit spiky. Was that then? Yes, he was yeah. a little bit. Because then I said that to him about oh, you're not really, really been tipped by loads of people, and it was the he gave the the answer of oh I don't care what people say, people do it, but. He was sort of 
in the way that it sounds like you do care what people say. <laughs> he doth protest too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm sure that stuff doesn't bother him. He's been around too long. And he, as he said then, he knows what he can do. And when he's playing well, like Mark Williams said, we'll come to this. But, you know, it, it, you wouldn't, if he's at his best, who are you backing to beat him? It's very difficult. Well, as Mark Williams kind of made that point as well, which, which we will now come to because we're going to get right up to date now and talk about the quarterfinals. Six former champions were in the lineup. We were all thumbing through the record books and the pages of the famous Crucible Almanac to see if that ever happened before. I think it's right um, to use the line that it was the most powerful quarterfinal lineup ever, Phil. It was, it was just mouthwatering going into it, wasn't it? And, and just uh, realising just how many players peak for this tournament. So many are playing well. Um, on Tuesday morning, I was lucky enough to go into the into the arena actually for the first uh, session of the, of the Bingham and McGill match and wrote a piece for Metro about it, which you can see. I put it on my Twitter, a, a colour piece from inside. It was a great pleasure to be in there. But for all of us, it was a great pleasure to follow such a brilliant set of last eight matches. Yeah, and it, there was a lot of talk about that. And it almost seemed odd to say it because O'Sullivan and Higgins had gone out. So we thought... Well, it could have been even better, but that, I mean that shows how many top players there are around, how many genuine contenders there are to win the world championship now. Because you know, two of the big hitters, two of the greatest ever to play the sport, are gone, and we've still arguably got the best ever quarterfinal lineup, which is incredible, really. Um, but yeah, it was one of the. I think there were so few shocks in the first round. The second round was like, whoa, this is good, and then it's just carried on from there. Um, it's a bit like when we talk about when the Masters draw comes out and you're just like, oh, you can't have a bad game there because they're, so, they're all good players. And that's what it's been like from the last 16 onwards. Um, so, yeah, you're right. In the morning of the quarterfinals, we were all very excited about what was to come. We really were. Um, the first one I've written down here is Kyron Wilson 13, Neil Robertson 8. Uh, really interesting match. Uh, we talk about the crucible player thing. Part of that, of course, is to weather the storm when you're not playing that well and then making hay when you are it was the archetypal crucible performance in that sense from Wilson he was 4-1 down a little bit out of sorts in the first session Robertson played really well but Robertson only won it 5-3 and that was crucial then by the end of the second session it was 8 all, and then well Kyron yesterday morning Wednesday morning here in the UK won all five frames for a 13-8 win well it was quite a match. Wilson said the table was awful, mm. and Robertson said he struggles with the venue. So we're, <laughs> both weren't that complimentary in it, were they, Phil? Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting when the winner sort of slags off the conditions because then you really know they're telling the truth because they're not just sour graves. Um, but I think there's been a problem with one table and the other because Williams came off his table and said it was one of the best tables he's played on. Um, and then apart from the pockets, apart from the pockets, you think well, the pockets too are too easy. big. Yeah, too yeah. easy. Um, Robertson, I mean. I wrote up those comments about the, the, the venue because they were interesting, but he, he, he was also magnanimous. He was saying Kyron played well, he didn't play well enough, but it's just, I mean, it's the classic problem, well, problem air quotes with the Crucible because it's so tight, a bit cramped, but that's what makes it so special as well. But um, it is awkward for players, especially, I mean, he's a very tall bloke, Neil Robertson, and he said some shots are genuinely, I think he said they were impossible to walk into them properly. Um, but, you know, it's fair enough. <laughs> it's funny that the best venue in the... Well, the most iconic venue in the sport actually makes it slightly difficult to play snooker, which is a strange uh, situation, isn't it? I think um, more than ever this year, I noticed that um, Robertson in particular, um, and I think there was a one, either Murphy or Trump last night, they had to move the water bottles yes, um, Trump, to, to yeah. bend down um, that little table. Um, mm. You know, there's nothing you can do about it, I suppose. Um, it's, it's always been the same size, the crucible, but... Yeah, it's very tight if you're in the jaws of that yellow pocket and you've, you've got to get down there. Does it surprise you, Kelly, that, that Robertson hasn't done better here over the years? I mean, he still won it once, and even one win is magnificent in this great championship, but when you consider how many titles he puts on the board year after year, he obviously doesn't like the venue, as he said, but you just kind of wish and think he should have a better record here. Definitely. It's a, it's a surprise he hasn't even at least been to another final. And he hasn't actually had many semi-finals either since he won it. Um, but the old, as the saying goes, there's only one world championship every year and there's a hell of a lot of good players. You know, Selby's done it three times. Ronnie's done it a few more times since Robertson's first. Um, there can only be one winner each year and everyone else is going to be disappointed. Um, 
So to do it, I think if Robbo does end his career just on one, it'll be a little bit of a shame. But at the end of the day, to, to climb the mountain once at the Crucible, I think, is just, you know, an incredible thing. Um, it, it, I'm sure he's got, he's certainly got the talent to win another one. Um, I just wonder whether maybe does he put pressure on himself because there's something wrong that he hasn't won another one or got closer to the final. Um, it's hard to put your finger on it, but you know, like last year, well, two years ago he lost to Higgins in the quarters, Selby last year, and now Kyron. He's losing to that kind of match player um, every time it seems, and maybe that's something he's got to address off the table mm. think about how he's going to go about it when he comes up against them kind of players over distance yeah I think he does overthink things a bit um, because he obviously can handle that kind of player because he hasn't in the past but maybe he's going into changing his game too much to deal with it I think the fact he was playing that Williams break off off the top cushion just showed that he yeah. was not thinking yeah. clearly and he was changing his game yeah. and really you know he's so good if he just stuck to stuck to his guns he can he can beat those players Absolutely his natural game is good enough to win this tournament um sadly he does seem to go into his shell at when the chips are down at the crucible um he said he wasn't going to do that again after the Selby match last year and, you know, ate all with Kyron. He still did play, you know, his normal game, but, yeah, when he came out and started that break-off yesterday, I thought, oh, this isn't perhaps looking... This is not good signs for Robertson. Yeah, and even... I mean, you don't want to judge too much on just sort of facial expressions and stuff, but he looked a bit of a beaten man even before it had ended, and that is very unlike Neil. He's, he, you wouldn't ever question his fight or his bottle, and maybe maybe that wasn't the problem. But he, he didn't he, he didn't look right yesterday morning at all. I didn't think, and uh, yeah, it's a shame. And like you say, I mean, there's only one winner. But I think the much bigger surprise is, as you say, how few semi-finals he's been to. Because you know, if he if he you lose out right the business end, fair enough. But yeah, it's, it's it's mad how often he's he's fallen quite early, really. For, for a man of his quality. It seems to have been a pattern over the last few years, really, that he goes off like a train in the first couple of rounds. Yeah. He looks absolutely unbeatable. You think, wow, this must be his year. And then, like I say, the quarter-final stage has done for him, you know, a number of times now. And, yeah, um, it, it's not like he's only top eight player. He's absolutely top four player. Yeah. So um, he should be making semis at the Crucible. Um, there's still time. He's still good enough, you know. Next season, you know, he's won probably the two biggest tournaments outside the World Championship this season, rankings-wise. Um, I think he'll come back. He'll do it again. But you know, every year's passing now. He is getting nearer forty. He's not really. He's not getting worse as a player. He's played magnificent this season. Um, there's just that question mark about his crucible record. Um, I think maybe he just needs a draw to fall for him. He keeps getting handed extremely difficult quarterfinals. I mean, the last three losing to Wilson, Selby, and Higgins. He's lost to Ronnie in the quarters before as well, hasn't he? Like, um, he just needs someone. Maybe I mean, you don't want to like fluke through easy draws, but maybe he just needs a little helping hand to get through the semis. Then he power on from there. Maybe, um, but at the 17, you know, every round at the Crucible is potentially a tough match. Um, you know, you're going to have to come through. I mean, look at Bingham's year. Mm. He had a, a, you know, dreadfully tough draw, but, you know, he, he, he played tremendous that year and, you know, rose to the occasion, whereas it's just, Robbo is just lacking something at the Crucible. I, I mean, I really love watching him play at his, his best. Um, there's no one, I mean, the way he dismantled Ronnie at the tour final, um, you know, you thought, wow, this really could be his year again. But um, I'm sure he'll go away and have a think about it and come back next season and... You know, he'll still be lifting trophies, I'm sure. No, he's guaranteed to, isn't he? How many years is it he's won a trophy now? It's I think 07 was his first. Yeah, like, yeah, about, yeah. That, about that. Yeah. Nailed on for one this year, then, isn't he? Exactly. And it's fair to say that Robertson looked very tired, but I thought the scheduling of 
playing in the night and early in the morning maybe wasn't ideal. But mm. let's move on to Mark Selby, Mark Williams. Mark Selby, a, a thumping good winner at 13-3 in, in, in two sessions. And Williams was like, hands up, wasn't he, Phil? <laughs> he outplayed me and said, if he's playing like that, he's the best player in the world. He'll win this title. And I think the bookies agree with that, but... Selby was absolutely brilliant in that match. Yeah, that's been from ball one, really, here, hasn't he? He just seems unbeatable. Um, Williams wasn't great, to be fair. That was nowhere near his best. It wasn't the guy who thrashed John Higgins in the previous round. But that's partly down to Selby as well. He doesn't let players play well. Um, it's when his scoring's on. I mean, he's always got the safety game. He's always going to make it difficult for people. But if he's knocking in big breaks as well, like Mark said, Mark Williams said, um, it's hard to see who beats him. And obviously, people can because they're all great players. But yeah, he's just got everything. And players hate playing him as well. They know what's coming. Um, and yeah, if they're not getting chances, as, if they're not getting any easy chances. Um, it's just, it's just an absolute nightmare. I spoke to Alan McManus the other day. I had a really nice long chat with him, and he was saying uh, he was on the comms, in the comms box for his first round game against Kurt Mafflin, and there were points later on in Mark Selby won ten one, and Kurt was coming to the table and just like la- out loud laughing because of the endless horrible situations he was coming to the table in. <laughs> just like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, and that's what he does to people when he, um, well, he can do that when he's not playing well, and now he is playing very well. Um, so yeah, uh, you've got to listen to what Mark Williams says. He knows what he's on about, and he looks very difficult to beat from here. And Kelly, it might not have been a great performance, maybe on the table uh, from Mark Williams, but he was certainly in good crowd-pleasing mood, wasn't he? <laughs> Playing the rest in all sorts of weird positions, and of course, even more inventive break-off. I think four cushions, one of them. So he was. He, he was having the acoustical audience rocking in the aisles, wasn't he? He was, he was brilliant value for money. Um, I think I think once he knew the match had gone, I thought it, I think he just thought, let's enjoy this now for you know last session. And um, yeah, playing all the shots with the rest at the end of the one frame, and then that break off. Um, he's a cracking bloke, and um, and I think he knew there was not much he could have done against Selby. Um, his his own performance, as you said, wasn't up to the standard against Higgins. Um, but yeah, he'll be back. He's uh, still a great player, and, and he's still someone who will be there or thereabouts in most tournaments of the season. I think. Yeah, I think so. My, a mate of mine texted me at about ten three or in that match, just saying, "If I was Williams, I'd be giving up here. Just get to the pub." And then he texted me five minutes later saying, "Oh, he has." <laughs> it, it did look like that a bit, but he was having a nice time. <laughs> yes, he'll probably be on the golf course this morning, won't he? Uh, Stuart Bingham, 13, Anthony McGill, 12. Another absolutely brilliant match that said so much about this tournament. I mean, I, I joked, you know, at one stage, relatively early in the match, that if they played every day between now and Christmas, they'd still be level <laughs> when we were watching the Queen's speech. Like, it'll be 845 frames each or something. It just looked like going all the way from a very early stage, really. Uh, Bingham was 10-7 down, won five in a row to go 12-10. McGill fought back to 12-12. Superb break from, from being a 1-2-5 in the final frame to claim victory, uh, Phil. And, you know, Bingham was delighted. McGill was looking at the positives. And the rest of us were just, like, revelling in a, in a classic match. Yeah, it was brilliant. There was... Uh, <laughs> Real went in swings. Um, that, that session that Anthony played on Tuesday night, as good as you'll see from anyone, really, just banging in big breaks. Um, and he said afterwards his scoring come on loads, and it clearly has... Um, and yeah, he fought, and then Bingham won five in a row. Was it yesterday afternoon, yesterday morning? Um, and then decider, and sort of McGill's become known for winning deciders here, really. But Bingham can as well. He won one in the first round, won a, uh, a semi-final here in a decider, didn't he, against Judd Trump? Um, and what a break! Making <laughs> 125 break in the decider to win it. Um, he he kept saying he hasn't got a clue how he does it, but he's nerves of steel, isn't it? He's he's such a good player. Um, but great match and great credit to Anthony and I think there's that four of them now isn't there it's Judd, Kyron, Lasowski and uh, McGill who are all similar age and they've got 10 years at this now and I think when when the class of 92 finally do sort of drop off a bit and then Selby and Robertson that lot start to go you know they're going to be a serious force and you wouldn't rule out McGill winning a world title for sure 
No, I think I think Bingham McGill has actually been my favourite match mm. of the tournament so far. That second session the other night was just phenomenal from both of them. Scoring was brilliant, and uh, I was I was lucky to be on the third row for that behind the bulk end, and and it was just up so close, and it was just brilliant to watch that scoring and. Um, and then the final session yesterday, I had a view of both tables oh, up nice. nearer the back, and um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant to watch. And felt, feel so sorry for Anthony, mm. and, you know, losing another year in the decider. But a uh, great, great match, and, and credit to Bingham. You know, it was ten seven down. He could have, he could have wilted a little, yeah. but uh, he didn't. He's, he's stayed, stayed with him, and came good. I found Anthony quite inspirational in, in the presser afterwards. He was just sort of saying, it's coming, I'm getting better, I know how good I am, um, I'm improving every year. Um, he sort of expects to win this at some point. Uh, he had a great line, someone was saying, oh, you're not too disappointed. He said, no, it's still young, still good looking, got a few quid in the bank, it's all good. <laughs> and, yeah, as I said before, he sort of doesn't, you don't get a lot of out of him sometimes, but he's good value and seems like a great guy, so... Uh, yeah, I think there's plenty more to come from him. And hopefully he'll start doing it outside of the I know he's won two ranking titles before, but um, a bit more consistent away from here as well. So we don't have to just call him a crucible player. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I'm, I said the word more heartbreak on Twitter, but then kind of clarified it, I think, a little bit, because it, it's easy to link it into last year, but it's very different, really. And I think he's more taking the positives, because mm. going to a 25th frame against Stuart Bingham is nothing to sort of be... You know, moping around about you know at his age with so much still to come, you would think. Mm. Um, but it, it, it was just a, a brilliant match. Um, to complete that last eight, then Sean Murphy thirteen, Judd Trump eleven. I mean, again, you know, absolute thrilling match. Uh, Murphy looked like he had it when he went ten six up in the second session, but Trump battled back to eleven eleven. It's a little bit like Ronnie, actually, and McGill. But also, it reminded me a little bit of the 2018 Williams-Higgins final. I think it was Michael McMullen that said on the Snooker Scene podcast, in a funny kind of way, the, the energy, but also the, the tension goes out of it again, uh, again a bit when the players come from a long way behind to level. And maybe the pressure turns a bit as well, because you know they climb the mountain nearly to the top, but they don't quite get over it. And it's funny how then the other guy can can still sometimes win it was it was such an interesting psychology but from 11-11 most people would have fancied Trump but Murphy got the job done Phil yeah 100% yeah I'm not sure how that works I'm not an elite sportsman but it did sort of seem like that he did all the hard work to get back to 11-11 and then was in the balls and had a great chance there missed what for him is a pretty straightforward black Um, but I think great credit to both guys that was one of the best sessions of the tournament for sure because Trump hadn't really shown it and then came out and was showing it when it really when he really needed to and Judd said he thought Sean had gone for a bit because he started missing balls by quite a long way and then unbelievable credit for him to then uh, sort of get himself back together when as you say Judd would have been in favour at 11-11 and make two good breaks in uh, the last two frames when Especially given that that's the problem with sort of poor form. He's just not used to winning big matches recently. He said, he said himself he had to dig r- really deep into his memory banks to remember how to get over the line in those big matches like that. But that's exactly what he did. Um, and it was brilliant. I think they both came out with great credit from that last session. Um, and yeah, all he could say is well done to Sean, really. It was superb. Absolutely. Um, I think, like you say, I think we all expected Judd would pull through when, when he got back on terms. Mm. Um, I did think he was. I think he was a beaten. I thought he was the beaten man when he was ten six down after yeah. how well Sean played in the second session. But um, you know he got back to level, and uh, for me there was only one winner. But Sean played, you know, real really well from from eleven all. I think Judd missed that black when he was in the balls to maybe go twelve eleven, and uh, that was it then. Really, Sean Sean really played well and. You know, deserved his place in the semi-finals Absolutely. for this revival. Yeah, I think we might have to move, folks. It's starting <laughs> yeah. to get very, very wet. Now this is live. We're going to, I think, move inside um, for a little while at least because the weather's turned quite dramatically bad here. I can tell you. So we'll continue to, to broadcast and move inside. We must talk about the semi-finals, but this is a well. We started quite spring-like and even a hint of summer, but this has gone. Very wintry indeed. We moved just to here. Everybody, we're inside now. A little coffee shop here. 
on Tudor Square. We might have to make a very rapid wrap up here because we're not allowed. We, we could if we were allowed. That, that might be an idea. Well, this is quite a development. We're now going to move into the Winter Garden. What? Kelly's grabbed my water very kindly, and we're going to move across it. It is suddenly tipping down here. Very unpleasant indeed. The first rain of the tournament. Can you put it? The first rain of the tournament, Phil Hay. It's almost hailstorms. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a, a, a dramatic change in weather, no doubt about that. But we have now moved inside to the sanctuary of the Winter Gardens. And, well, Ken Bruce doesn't have to put up with this, does he? Um, but anyway, never mind. We, we have moved and we're now in a different place and hopefully we can continue to talk about this great championship and of course it's semi-final time now isn't it and we first of all are going to talk about Mark Selby against Stuart Bingham I mean Titanic match Phil to come uh, I asked you last night about when you thought they first met but of course like a true pro you would have already looked it up the 1999 China Open so kind of longer ago than you might think frankly but it Bingham's 18-17 up in the head-to-heads. They've only ma- played one match longer than one session in the past. Selby's a favourite, but it's a match to savour, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was surprised they played as long ago as that, but uh, they've been going at it a long time. And, yeah, I mean, as we've said, Selby looks almost impossible to beat at the minute, but uh, at the same time, keeping up that form is very, very hard for the entire tournament. And he's bound to have a little bit of a wobble but now we're in such long games his wobble shouldn't be too costly so you know I don't think too many people will be backing Stuart but that's that's no that's no slight on Stuart that's just because Mark's playing so so well um, but as we said Stuart's scoring great so he can happily reel off a few frames a, at a time and he's going to make some tons so uh, it's not going to be one sided but I think you've got to back Selby or do you see yeah, I think I think everyone would tip Selby as the favourite for that game and make the final again for him. Like I say, Stuart's scoring has just been phenomenal this tournament, and um, you know what, why not him if he can keep that form up? Um, I think Mark's Mark's safety and all-round game will be enough. I think it will be enough to see him into the final. But um, you know, no, nobody tipped Bingham the year he did win it, so. Uh, why not him again? Um, I, th- I think I just think he's playing so well. Um, you know, the, I think the pressure's off really. Haven't come through with the qualifiers. Um, it's down to that one table again, where which he really said he would love to be back in. Hasn't been there back to the one table since he won it. And um, I think he'll save for every minute. And when when you're relaxed and maybe not feeling the pressure so much, um, you know, he might just bring his A game. And you know, why not? Yeah, he was very emotional after he won his quarter-final and I almost thought there must be sort of a backstory to that and something going on off the table as to why he was sort of tearing up so much. But he just loved snooker that much. He was just so happy to be back in the one table that he broke down a couple of times and it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was lovely to see in a, in a way. But, um, yeah, he just, it means so much to him and I think that sort of, I mean, it means everything to all of them, but... It means just that little bit more to Stuart, I think, and that yeah. maybe gives him an edge. One, two of those brilliant deciders, those breaks and those deciders he's made. Maybe that's because of it, I don't know. Well, you're right to mention that emotion, Phil, and I'm glad you, you said it. He talked about getting a book about the Crucible as a boy, didn't he? And mm. It was a real press room silence, wasn't it? Because I think we were, we were all kind of moved, I know I was, because you just realise, you know, as fans, you know, and, and journalists in our case, it means so much to us this place Kelly we know how much it means to you but these are the guys that are playing in it, it, it to me it was just a reminder God this means so much yeah absolutely because I think sort of the rigours of the season and stuff and there's a lot of sort of moaning in players sometimes about the conditions and the travel and the venues and it, it does become a job to a lot of them and a lot of the season but then especially something about coming here and the big tournaments then it, it sort of brings back those passions to why they played in the first place and as I said for Stuart it's, it's more so than most of them and really personal memories he was talking about as a kid flipping those books looking at the crucible uh, and all these years later um, it means that, that much to him so yeah I mean, it was lovely to see uh, such a nice bloke and yeah it's hard not, hard not to wish him well 
definitely. I, mean, I put a poll up, which is nearly closed now because the semi-finals are, are nearly upon us. And Selby's winning by a mile. It's who, who you think is going to win the tournament now with the four left. Stewart was on about three or four percent last I saw. And I, you know, I wouldn't say it annoys me, but it sometimes <laughs> puzzles me quite how underrated he is. He's won the tournament before. He's won other big tournaments, but it still seems he's no, not not respected, but kind of you know he's flies under the radar a bit. But th- there we go. We'll see if, if if people are right. I I was I was certainly myself uh, be backing Selby now to win the title. But anyway, the other semi-finals: Sean Murphy against Kyron Wilson. Their first match was 2011, so going back a decade now. Uh, Murphy's six three up in the head-to-heads, and in their only multi-session match, he beat. Kyron Wilson 9-1 in last year's Welsh Open final. Well, Sean's made this into a very Northamptonshire affair, Phil. <laughs> he said Kettering against Earthlinburn. I remember a bit of covering Ruston and Diamonds uh, back in the days when I worked on in local radio, so I know a little bit about that. But Sean was talking about it like it was the old firm, wasn't he? Yeah, I knew nothing about that. I'd forgotten he was from Earthling for I'd forgotten that place existed, if I'm to be honest with you. Um, Sorry, yeah. everybody from Earthling for <laughs> <laughs> um, But fair enough, he was really talking up that rivalry. Um, although, obviously, he said that Katie and Kyron get on very well. It's hard to imagine them, um, Kyron, not getting on with anyone, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what a match. This is a very intriguing match because Murphy playing well um, is, a, is a handful for anyone, obviously. Um, Kyron's looks very, very hard to beat at the minute. Um, I've not looked at the odds. I'd imagine Kyron's favourite, and I, I would be tipping Kyron. But after what Murphy did against Trump, and when his scoring's going, he's playing such attacking, carefree snooker again. Um, yeah, you wouldn't write him off. Obviously, it goes without saying. Um, so I expect this to be a long one. Actually, it may even be another decider in a semi-final for Kyron. Yes, I, I feel the same. Um, I think if one of them's going to go real close, I think this will be the one. Um, I find it hard to pick a winner of this one. I think, you know, Kyron's more of a granny player, um, but Sean is attacking, free-flowing, and if he keeps his form, what he's shown so far, particularly against Judd, um, I, th- I, I can't pick a winner. I, I'm, Hopefully 16-all and, uh, you know, another Crucible semi-final classic. But, um, yeah, I can tip Selby from the first one. I can't pick a winner from this one. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. I mean, that one, that really one-sided final they played seems crazy. I don't, I, I, I don't remember much about that fight. Really. <laughs> I think we both said we were, we were very busy with work that maybe weekend we or maybe there, away. Yeah. Because I, I actually don't remember that that well either. But what a win. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. No, not many people do that to Kyra. Um, so... I mean, Sean would be absolutely full of confidence if he what he did. He, he was absolutely buzzing in the press room last night, wasn't well, he? And that was actually really nice to see. I like to see players, people show their emotions after wins or losses, really. And uh, he was unashamedly absolutely delighted with beating Trump. So he'll be loving life. Um, and if he gets on a roll, very, very difficult to stop. But there's one man who can stop people on rolls. Aaron Wilson's one of them. So, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's great great to see these guys. Um, but, you know, Bingham and Murphy, as we all know, I think they're such great snooker fans as yeah. well. I think if they, if they hadn't become top players, they could be standing here now on this podcast <laughs> as a passionate fan because they both love it so much. Um, yeah, um, it's just great great to see these players do well again. And, you know, we all we all think of, you know, your Robertson, Trump, Ronnie, they are the, they are the winners. But these guys, their game's... You know, on their day is just as good, and we're really, I think we're in for a could be in for a classic five days. Really. Yeah, agree. Yes, I'd agree with that, and uh, we have three fascinating days to come from the semi-finals. We're nearly going to shut up shop because Phil and I are dashing back to the big smoke, and we'll, we'll, we'll leave Kelly to enjoy the rest of the crucible here. But we have had one bit of correspondence, and something that I know I've been trailing on Twitter that I am going to bring up before we leave you. It's an email we've had from Ben Evans, actually, who says, Hi Nick and Phil, really enjoying the podcast. I have seen your discussions on Twitter about the length of the semi-finals at the Crucible. I have always wondered why there was such a jump between the quarter-finals, best of 25, to the semis, best of 33. I'm only 18, so I don't know whether there is historical reason for this, like the quarter-finals previously being longer or the final being longer. I think the semis should be shortened to best of 29 with three sessions, 9, 10, 10. This would help shorten the tournament by a day so there could be a Sunday finish, which is something that should be done to help give a greater spotlight to the final. It would 
also helped make the final an extra challenge by being the only four-session match and thus a proper step up from the semi-finals. Now, Ben's almost echoing something that I thought for a while. And I, I'm no, by no means passionately behind this. I love the tournament in so many ways as it is. I even love this day as a fan. It feels like a rest day this second Thursday. But I do think that a small change, potentially a three-session semi, could give a few benefits. Uh, one of them, the players wouldn't be so tired for the final. Then also you wouldn't have this very quiet second Thursday where you lose a lot of momentum. A Sunday finish will be fairer for a worldwide audience. Fewer clashes with other big sports, like big football games, that you often get on that bank holiday Monday. And I noticed Kyron Wilson spoke to the Eurosport podcast, The Break, about this, and then embellished that a bit with us in the press yesterday and said he believes that come the final there's not much left for the players and he says you are just exhausted and it's only the adrenaline and buzz of being the world final that gets you through best of 25 is such a long match still I think there's probably an argument to have the semis as best of 25 and keep the final as a showpiece extra long match for a bit of balance Mark Selby uh, said you know there's one tournament you don't want to touch for me it would be this one we changed many others I know most traditionalists would agree with that Phil, is there a case perhaps for a slight alteration so the semis are a little bit shorter so players have a little bit more in the tank for the final? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, I think it's the, it's the three days that seems mental. <laughs> I know we're used to it, so I, I do love it. As it is that um, three days to play a match um, is a very, very long time. And I know from sort of a media perspective, you've got got a lot of time where not a lot's going on really other I mean obviously the snooker's going on but story-wise it's difficult um, and yeah I like the point of the the final then being made more special by by uh, being the only four session one um, yeah uh, tinkering with the world championship is always going to be dodgy ground <laughs> yeah, it's like um, radio four it's like changing <laughs> the radio four schedule yeah, yeah. but um, yeah if any if any changes can be made I think that I think I would agree that that could be done um, as you said, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not up at night thinking about that. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, if it was, if it could be cut down into two days, um, and th- there's the point about it finishing on a Sunday for international viewers because it obviously makes sense here on a Monday being a bank holiday, but you know, nowhere else in the world has that. Um, so it'd be nice for everyone else to be on a Sunday final. Um, so yeah, I would definitely wouldn't be against that. Well, Ben asked if there's a particular reason for it. I think it's just always been done this way. It has been done for about 40 years. Yeah. It was actually added slightly the semi some years back, wasn't it? From 1st to 16 to 1st to 17. Kelly, I'm interested. What do fans think about this second Thursday? Do they enjoy this little piece of it? Because there's only 16 trains, and it, it feels a bit like a red state. But while that's good to kind of enjoy the new setup. From a media point of view, from a momentum point of view, it sometimes feels like quite a lot is lost on this day. Yeah, I think um, as going back a number of years, I had the old season tickets, so I, I had the wad of tickets for the 17 days. And um, this Thursday, because it was in your set, then you thought, oh, you know, I'll be in there. But since, since we lost that and we just buy tickets all individually, uh, this was a day that, it, you know, for, for to go in there, it's very expensive. And you're only getting the first eight frames of the match, so it's one that I don't do now. Um, if it was a bit cheaper, I would go in. But um, you know, the semis, I do feel, you know, it's only the first day today, and you're not getting a result until two days' time. Um, it's, it does seem such a long match. If if there was any tweak that I would think, sometimes you get the player on the the, the semi-final that finishes on the Saturday afternoon. Um, if that's very one-sided, that player gets all Saturday night off to think about it then. And then the Saturday night semi-final, if that goes um, all the way, they are mentally drained mm. Saturday night where the other guys had most of Saturday off. Um, so I wonder whether they could tweak it somewhat so that well, maybe Saturday night was a free session either way so that they're all finished by Saturday afternoon perhaps. Um, and then whoever whoever is through to the final, um, you know, they've both got a session off Saturday night and could be a bit fresh for Sunday because you don't want them knackered already for them, you know, going into the final. Um, you know, I, I'm not 
I wouldn't cut it too much, but... To me, 999. Three sessions of nine, first to 14, I think would be neat enough. And, it, and, and for me, it would be a small change for a lot of benefits. I think they wouldn't cut... I think they wouldn't cut a whole session out, though, because of the paying fans. Yeah, um, no, fair point. I think, I think that's the thing. Yes, it is a, it is a, a, a till ringer, those yes. two extra sessions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's always so much to think about in broadcasting and commercially, so, yeah, and yeah. while that makes sense, and I agree with you, and it would be... It would be such, certainly fairer to finish on the Saturday afternoon. To get rid of them the Saturday night broadcasting would probably be, they're no, probably not like that. Yes. So there's there's always so many things to consider with these things. But yeah, that 999 sort of made sense because then it's longer than the quarters but not as long as the final still. So mm. yeah, it's an interesting one. It is, and it's all debate, and your views will be most welcome. Keep them coming. Tweet us at Talking Snooker or email. Talking Snooker at yahoo.com. Tweet us at Talking Snooker or email Talking Snooker at yahoo.com. Phil, I've got that song Four Seasons in One Day in my head. <laughs> yeah. And Kelly as well. Look outside now, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's Spring lovely. sunshine. We've had the lot, haven't we? <laughs> Rain, hail, sun. We've gone just, from. Just waiting for the snow now. <laughs> <laughs> it was near that before, wasn't it? Yeah. In the winter gardens now to set the scene, and it's delightful. There's some coming through the palm trees, it could be anywhere. Well, I know this is your hometown, uh, Phil, and so it's obviously very special for you. I've been coming here for decades now, and you have Kelly too. It's a very, very special place. But we're about to go home, Phil. You're, you're staying on for the rest of the tournament, Kelly, so enjoy it. As we said earlier, it's going to be quite a, a special feeling and sight when this place is full. So, in a sense, we've had lots of drama, but maybe the best is still to come. Hopefully, yes, it'll be magnificent to see the old place full again. Um, you know, I think the last few days it's really been building up and the, the numbers have really gone up. And just to see people, you know, whole rows of people again, because um, the quarterfinals have been the first days where it's been a non-socially distant crowd. Um, it's been, been lovely to see people, you know, all sat together and the noise levels have, have gone up a notch the last few days, um, even without Ronnie. So, uh, yeah, for have that final night with... You know, a full house, it's going to be something to savour. I think you could get quite emotional, there might be a few tears there, because not just because of the snooker, just because what we've all been through last year or so, just being around people again. Um, yeah, it's going to be quite a thing, I think. Well, maybe a few tears for us, Phil. We'll be saying goodbye maybe. to talking snooker for the season, but we'll be back <laughs> after the final, won't we, to review that and the whole uh, championship. Thank, thanks very much to D for your company. Uh, first of all, Kelly, you've been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for being with us. And, you know, really do enjoy the rest of the tournament. Thank you. It's been good to be invited. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to have you, and pleasure always to be here. Hopefully, have you again sometime. Yeah. And and Phil, you, we're heading back now. I'll race you back to the home counties. I'm going by train. You're going by car. Yeah. May the best man win. Yeah, I had a nightmare getting up here, so uh, I'm backing you in this one. But we'll see. <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. Well, the rattler rarely lets me down. So let's see. <laughs> That's, that's about all from us then, folks. Myself and Phil will be back after the final with our next episode, our final one of the season. Uh, thank you so much for your company. Keep your thoughts coming to us and uh, enjoy the rest of the World Championship. From Kelly, Phil and myself, cheerio for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.